As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, we're back with the all-new show, Damage and Blue. I'm back. And listen, before we get into everything, Asriel Clary, who was a part of the whole takedown, I think, of R. Kelly, uh, one of his former ex-girlfriends who had been uh, in a relationship with him when she was a minor, she's on the show, and I sat down with her, and we got to get into it. But I feel like I've been gone for so long that it missed out on the whole Will and Jada stuff, and it's still in the news, so we got to unpack some of that, too. I posted a video on my Instagram where I said at 6.49 in the morning, uh, Dubai time, that I was shooketh out of bed after the slappeth heard around the world reached my bedside. And I and I, and I I basically said we had to protect Will Smith because we live in a world where everybody wants to see Will lose everything. And uh, now there are new reports going on that just keep the story alive. Are you both like me and sick of it and ready to, ready for it to die already? Been tired, been tired. But you know, when you hit somebody that hard, that slap has a re reverberation. You know what I'm saying? It ripples through history. You know what I'm saying? So it's going to be here for a while because that slap, as you've seen the form, how he connected, I knew after that slap, there will be ripples of conversation for weeks to come. So shout out to Will for slapping the shit out of him. This is a smear campaign. Welcome back, Jason. Um, it's getting silly now. The last time I let myself talk about it was last Wednesday when we did that show. I literally have the slap fatigue. I am so tired of the slap. And I think what the slap is showing is how racist this country is. Y'all can get mad at me if you want. For those of you who are like, oh, violence is bad. This whole country was built on violence. Violence is bad, but the entire country that we live on was based in violence. So I just find it really hypocritical that people who are like Second Amendment rights and, you know, I got my gun on me and X, Y, and Z. Oh, no, but a slap is too far. The slap was inappropriate, but let's not clutch our pearls like we live in a dainty country. The country is violent, and they're making an exception. They're making an example, I should say, uh, this black man in an academy that has looked a blind eye to rape and sexual assault and racism, but a slap is what makes you have to lose everything. I still think it's racist. I hate everything oh, about this. Listen, let's, let's be very clear. Will Smith will not be canceled. We're not allowing that to happen, so we could just move right along. And I think that he'll be okay. Yes, a lot of his film projects are on hold now from what they're saying, reportedly on hold. And he's also, since the slap, resigned from the Academy, which we all know at some point he'll be welcome back and they'll celebrate mm -hmm. him being back because that's what happens. You know, I, I find it ironic 
that so many people are mad at Will Smith. This is the same academy that let that white man almost tongue kiss Halle Berry in public when she didn't want to be kissed. Almost sexual assault live on television and made that okay. This person was not uh, told to resign from the academy, was not banned from attending the academy. What they're trying to do is exactly what you said. This modern day lynch mom called mainstream media is trying to put a noose around Will Smith's neck at some point. You know, you also have Chris Rock out here who's refusing to comment on it, who said he's still processing. I don't know if that's because the slap is still ringing in his ear or he's just still in shock or or he's milking this opportunity because as a victim, he is benefiting from all the bad press that Will Smith is getting. But it isn't Chris Rock that I'm now concerned about. It's Jada Pinkett Smith. Jada is now reportedly saying that she wishes Will didn't get physical with Chris Rock. Uh, apparently, Jada Pickett-Smith isn't angry with Will Smith about getting physical physical with Chris Rock at the Oscars, but she wishes that he didn't get physical either. Now, we all know that what led to Will lashing out against Chris was that Chris had made jokes about Jada's hair, and this is after she had made revelations about having alopecia. And then Will got up out of his chair, slapped him, and then cussed him out in front of white people on live television, which was the most shocking part of, part of it all. But now, uh, Jada speaking out against will is only in my opinion making this worse and i have to tell you what i'm struggling with jada jada i'm going to speak directly to you we're at the blue table talk okay this is the blue table talk this is where we talk about shit that you don't want to talk about in a manner that doesn't feel too good i have been defending you jada i've been defending will out here in these internet streets and then for you to go out or for there to be a statement released that people close to you are now saying that you're upset that Will did that when he did it for you. This is where you should have said as a woman, as a wife, I am happy that my man, my black man held his queen down. And although I don't agree with the way that it happened, I would never ever stand in the way of my man and his redemption or something like that. You're an actress. You could have cried or something. I just feel like Jada Pinkett Smith has made it permissible to emasculate Will Smith. And now she's making it permissible to say, see, even your wife thinks you were a weirdo for that. But did she say it though? Like, did she say, because my thing is I've, I've had two or three different Jada statements from a source that I later found out Jada didn't say, and she had to come out and recant it. So a part of me wants to wait 36 hours to make sure she doesn't come out and say, y'all lying on me again. Cause they put out fake Jada statements all the time to stoke the fire. So if she said it, I'm disappointed, but I'm praying to God that this is another, you know, fake out. What happened to just saying nothing, right? Like, I feel like if I'm, it doesn't have to be my significant other with y'all. If I disagree behind the scenes, we can disagree. But we have to have a unified front. We are a family. We are a team. We are mm-hmm. the Smith family. We are a brand. So you could totally not want Will to go up there and slap fire out of Chris, but you don't tell the world that. You don't tell the world anything. If you don't have something good to say about the united front, then don't say anything at all. So I'm hoping it's fake news, but... Well, listen, even though I stand with Will, I'm not saying that he should not be held accountable. Of course, he should be held accountable. He just shouldn't be canceled. We're not canceling anybody black in 2022. But I have to go on and say that at this point now, I feel like the Smiths are to blame for a lot of what's happened here. You know, I think that a lot of celebrities who are iconic or superstars are so far removed from the world of social media and know that the only way to stay relevant is to tap into the vein of social media. When Will Smith discovered Instagram and was creating all that amazing content, I said, oh, Will Smith is going to be a problem. He's going to be a problem in these social media streets. And Will figured out social media and he got active with it. And then when when Jada launched the Red Table Talk, 
I was like, yo, here we go. Now she's opening up about her feelings. She's opened up about the most personal things in their lives. And once they got together and started to let the world closer to what had been a very private relationship, I knew that it was only going to be problematic. And in a matter of time before people felt like they could invite themselves in to do and say whatever they want about the Smiths. Yeah, this is a cautionary tale about how dangerous it is to let people into your business. Because you're right, once you open up that Pandora's box, you're inviting people in to have opinions, especially when you have an unconventional relationship. I'm going to be honest, as a woman, I don't agree with a lot of what Jada does in her marriage, right? Not to say that it's wrong, it's not how I would move my man or my relationship, but I don't judge her for it. However, a lot of people will judge you for it. And I will say this too, the semblance of emasculation Usually when that word is used, it's it's weaponized against women as a way to tell us not to be strong. But I will say there have been several instances where I have felt like Will Smith was emasculated. And as a woman, it hurts me to say that. And so I hope whatever conversations they're having on the back end, they as a unit fix this because I thought they were going to be unified because he had her back. But if she really feels a way about him defending her, sis, that's not cool. He did it for you. Well, listen, uh, a source told Us Weekly that it was in the heat of the moment and it was him overreacting. He knows that. She knows that. They're in agreement that Will overreacted. Listen, we all know that he overreacted, but I don't think that Jada should be talking about Will's overreaction. In fact, I think what he did was, in my opinion, in direct uh, support of his wife. I think in many ways, Will Smith has looked weak over the last couple years he's uh there was the whole august alcina stuff that had happened where he hadn't had much to say august has since reached out to me and i don't think he's happy with how i have viewed that relationship but as i explained to him and i'll say it right here publicly proximity is what provides clarity and i'm from where i sit i'm on the outside i don't know the relationship i don't know if there was a express uh, a permission from Will and his wife for her to engage in this relationship with August, but the world found out about it. There was a song created about it. I think August has even gone on to gaslight more with more activity since this has happened on social media. So the disrespect for Will Smith continues and it just continues on and on and on. And so at some point, people have a breaking point. If this man actually did this in support of his wife, the protecting black women, which we know is not a real thing at this point, uh, then, I mean, why now would this black woman have the audacity to speak out her, the side of her face about her man's overreaction? I'm, I'll tell you right now, Jada, if this is true, and, and I'm not, I'm going to say all sources aren't source, all sources aren't real. You know, I know that more than anybody. But Jada, if this is real, we'll need to go ahead and just leave your ass alone, sitting right there by yourself with your mama at the red table. <laughs> Because this is too much. Like we need, we need, we need Independence Day back. We need Muhammad Ali. We need Ali. We need our hero Will Smith back. With all, we just sickles intact. I just want to see them be a team. You know, it's like watching the Lakers. Like they got all the star players, but they're not working well together. I need to see them, and I feel like they are on some type of harmonious. Like I, I do feel like they're not at odds because from the outside looking in, it's like. She got a problem with him and he's just sad. And I feel like that's not the case. But what it looks like on the outside, because y'all portrayed this picture to us, y'all portrayed the happy, perfect picture. And now we got this chaos. I need y'all to just come together. I don't know if y'all need a huddle. I don't know what y'all need to do. I don't know if it needs to be another red table talk, but something needs to happen where I see y'all on the same page moving forward. Because I hate that he's slapping Chris Rock for you. Then you come out a few days later talking about, 
I don't like that. Like, we need to figure out what page y'all on, for real. There is another what? Red Table Talk damage. It's been reported that they're, they're, they're in talks about doing one post-Oscar, oh. so I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, they're working on it. According duh, to black media. Duh, duh, duh. We all saw this happening. All of us in the world of media saw this Red Table talk happening. It would be the most anticipated, watched Red Table ever. Okay, but I, I've even said just last night, you know, Tony Rock, Chris Rock's brother, now is calling Jada Pinkett Smith a bitch in public on stage in front of people. Jada's being violated. Will is being emasculated. They want to take his Oscar. Whoopi's like, no. Whoopi's standing up for Will even though Will didn't stand up for whooping when she got suspended for two weeks. You know, I, I don't know how to make any sense of any of this chaotic situation that's in front of us. But what I will say is that, you know, I don't believe in cancel culture. I, I feel like the pendulum needs to swing the other way now where people can just do things and make mistakes, be held accountable. That means if he loses his Oscar, that means if he loses whatever he's supposed to lose as a consequence for the behavior, fine. But to remove him from the academy that he deserves to be a part of, to, you know, continue to have all this fallout. And then now have sources close to him say that his wife feels some sort of way about him standing up for her. I don't know. But I will say this again to you, Willard Smith. If your wife is out speaking bad or counterproductive to the forward movement of you two as a partner, man, leave her. Because at this point, what else do you have to lose? You almost lost your whole career in front of the world. Well, to play devil's advocate, I remember on Red Table Talk, Jada was talking about her birthday party that Will went all out for. And she was talking about like, yeah, you did this gesture for me, but this was really about you. And maybe that's the Mm -hmm. message Jada's trying to send. Like, don't use this reaction you had as a, you know, a way to put it on me like you did this for me. Maybe she's looking at like, just like her birthday party, you did this for you, Will, and your ego, because it's always about you. So I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here. Maybe that's the point of view she's coming from, because I he did agreed hear her too. speak like this once before. Okay. Yeah, it's, yeah he actually, uh, during that Red Table, he agreed with her. So it wasn't like her accusing him and saying that and him disagreeing. He said, you're right. I got a therapist and talked about it and realized that I'm obsessed with perfection and optics and that a lot of the things that I do to look like a good husband to you, I'm actually doing it for me to feel like a, a good man in front of the public. So he's already admitted that he sometimes uses Jada to make himself look like a Russell Wilson. Like I understand that, but that happened like, what, three or four years ago? I, I, I would assume they've gotten more therapy since then at what point do we stop punishing this man and that's the part that really breaks my heart jason to your point this is not about accountability because he took accountability right this Mm -hmm. is about punishing him and there's a big difference between holding somebody accountable and wanting to see them suffer they want to see him suffer and that's what bothers me about this well listen i've said before that again this modern day lynching led by mainstream it's clearly us lining Kunta up in front of everybody to see him get his lashes until he changes his name to Toby. We not having it. But this goes back to us as black people. We need to be more boisterous about the fact that cancel culture is a real thing. And right now he's apologized to Chris Rock. He resigned from the Academy and who's allowing him to keep his, his, his award for now. He has pieced it up with his wife. His children supported him. Whoopi Goldberg, other greats have come out and supported him. White folks are not happy. You know, what is it going to take for people to move on? Like, what does he need to do? You know, the, the responsibility of holding him accountable beyond what's happening lies with Chris Rock. And Chris Rock has already said he has nothing else he has to say about it. And so I just find it very unsettling 
that mainstream is still trying to push this narrative or this agenda that something more needs to happen. What you want him to kill himself? You want him to go to jail? You want him to go to prison? None of that is happening here. But again, back on the topic of the conversation we're having today, Jada, I hope that if anything, you are defending your man. If he did something that you felt was feeding his ego to the world, at least it looked like he was standing up for you. Have that private conversation on your way to the steakhouse. Do not have that conversation on Us Weekly or on any other platform because you're inviting us again to be in your business. And this is what happens. You don't want us to be, but here we are being lured in. All right, cool. R. Kelly's back in the news because he wants to delay the New York's uh, sex trafficking sentencing and says that jurors saw his documentary. After being convicted in his New York sex trafficking and racketeering case, R. Kelly is now wanting his sentencing to be pushed back until he goes to trial in August for the child porn case that he has in Chicago. Now, Kelly's attorneys argue that statements made during his May 4th New York sentencing hearing, quote, might be used against him in his Chicago case. However, a U.S. district judge denied the request but did agree to push back sentencing six weeks later to June 16th. Now, meanwhile, Kelly also had words for his former legal team, who he claims picked numerous jurors who, quote, may have seen the surviving R. Kelly documentary. And that was the series that chronicled the long history that of abuse that he's had uh, with women. Uh, and these were allegations made against him. Now, in a filing, he wrote, quote, at certain points, during jury selection, I did hear that some jurors may have seen the Surviving R. Kelly docuseries, and that concerned me greatly. I raised my concerns with my attorneys, but they shooed me off. I was, I was nothing more than a bystander in the process. There was no strategy involved in choosing these jurors that sat on my jury, as far as I could tell. At least there was no trial strategy that involved my input. Mm. This is BS. This is absolute dog poo. The same way that somebody might have seen a surviving R. Kelly, I promise you many more people have heard an R. Kelly song over his 30 years as an international superstar. There are people in small villages with no Wi-Fi who've heard I Believe I Can Fly. So when the entire globe is already skewed in your favor, you cannot act like one documentary means that. No, no. The table has, has already been set to be in your favor for 30 years, R. Kelly. And now that there's finally a counterattack, you can't suddenly say that it's, it's inadmissible. I think this is so rich coming from him because he's not a regular man and he's pretending to be a regular dude. You were an international superstar. Enough, bro. Well, well, devil's advocate, he may not be a regular dude, but he has the right to fair process. And that's the best part, the only best part conceptually of the idea that we live in a system where, uh, in a world where our justice system is fair, which we all know that it's not. Um, I think that when you are brought into court on charges, you, what, what your perception or the perception of you before you get there. It's something that you built, right? And if he built a mm -hmm. good perception of him, he has the right to have that afforded to him when he goes in before a jury, they're going to determine the rest of his life and his freedoms or the lack thereof. But in this case, this is a person who had a sex tape out on VHS tape when I had a record play, uh, the little uh, video player, VCR. Exactly. Remember those? And so like we saw that tape and we all have known for years what he has done, regardless if it got conjured up in a documentary or not. We know the whispers that have happened for years. We've seen all the interviews. And even on today's show, we're talking to a survivor who survived that experience with R. Kelly some time ago. And so, you know, there's enough mounting evidence out here, regardless of who you get in that seat, that's going to be able to decipher the fact that you are somebody who's been with underage minors. 
Y'all, let me tell you about this beauty brand that I'm obsessed with, and it is literally taking over my beauty counter. They're all over TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and they are winning major awards left and right. They sold out of every color they dropped in 2021 and had a waiting list of over 25,000 people. Listen, the brand is Wonderskin, and this company you have to check out because it has some of the coolest products I have ever seen. First, you put on this really cute blue lip mask, and you miss their activator, and then within seconds, you can peel it off the mask, revealing a beautiful natural lip shade underneath which is transfer proof waterproof feather proof and will last up to 10 hours ladies yes even when you're kissing and they just won the prestigious allure best of beauty breakthrough award you have to try it but they didn't stop there though they also have the best skincare that i'm obsessed with it's called pure voc which is a cover-up spelled backwards because it's literally the opposite of covering up with the, just these three products you'll get the mean, meaningful results like flawless looking skin and a beautiful glow in just four weeks i can't leave my house without using pure voc and it's been so good for me. I'm telling you, Wonder Skin is going viral for a reason. They were just on the Today Show, and they've been featured in People Magazine. The buzz is real. You have to check them out. And they're led by Team Wow, which stands for Women of Wonder Skin, and is composed of several accomplished global beauty experts helping to innovate in the field. As I said, I've been using Wonder Skin products for a while now, and I'm obsessed because it works. All the products I use truly make a difference in my makeup and skincare routine. They're unlike anything I've ever tried before, especially Pure Voc. I love that the best as you can clearly tell and my skin hasn't looked this good in years my skin is glowing my confidence is through the roof and i can't leave the house without having this on me now if you have been sold the way i have please please check them out enough about me um you can check them out at wonderskin.com and use the promo code unlocked that's wonderskin.com promo code u-n-l-o-c-k-e-d and you can receive 20 percent off plus free shipping on orders over $50. So that's 20% off when you go to wonderskin.com and use our promo code UNLOCKED. Mm -hmm. You know how nasty you got to be for your lawyers to not even want to come up with a strategy for you? They're like, we're going to take this money and you're going in, buddy. He sat down with all his lawyers like, so did they see the documentary? They was like, buddy, it don't matter if they seen it or not. You're going in there. That's hilarious. <laughs> we'll push the date back. But you going in, dog, we seen the documentary and we seen that nasty ass VHS back in the day. You're going in. Thank you for paying us. Peace. Now, listen, Kelly got rid of his previous legal team and hired some new lawyer named Jennifer Bonjean, who argues that he was never provided a fair trial because of the release of the uh, documentary. And so now she's trying to find yet one another attempt to be able to keep him out of trouble or to at least delay the inevitable. But, you know, what I don't understand is you can delay what we know is coming. We know a guilty verdict is coming. There's no way looking at the evidence that, you know, you would say that he's not guilty. Now, you know, some could say, well, they, they thought the same about Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby, we didn't see no tapes. You know, we heard people's accounts of 20 years before. We heard Bill, you know, we, we heard things, but we didn't see actual tapes and have living, breathing people who were saying they were his girlfriend at the time he was being charged. Remember Azrael, who's here, she was actually R. Kelly's girlfriend when he got arrested. And, you know, she was living in the basement or locked up or somehow taken away from her family. And so we, we this is very different than a Bill Cosby or some other speculatory situation that we don't know what happened. Like, we don't know if OJ killed those people. R. Kelly is still grooming girls from lockup. Like, there's a video that just went viral like two weeks ago of an inmate who I'm hoping has been in jail for a long time and didn't see the documentary who has a young daughter. And R. Kelly got on the phone with the young daughter and started singing to her. 
He's still grooming girls from behind bars. Like this man has not learned anything. It's like, I saw the video and this young girl's like, oh my God, R. Kelly's singing to me. I was like, sis, I don't think you understand what that means. It's not a good thing. So this man is despicable to me. And the fact that he has a female lawyer, dinner parties must be awkward at her house. Because how do you tell people that you're a woman who's defending R. Kelly for a living? The whole thing is just icky to me, and I think it's about time that we just get to be inevitable. We all know how this ends. Well, well, you know, I've been watching Azrael Clary from the beginning of this whole thing, and one thing when I when I heard that she wanted to talk to me, the one thing I thought about was how many women follow Hollywood Unlocked, how many young black women follow Hollywood Unlocked, how many women are being sex trafficked or being lured into relationships with these men, how many young men are being lured into these relationships with older women or older men. Um, and I really thought about the lack of a uh, platform for these people to have to talk about how they survive these things. You know, I look at Azrael as somebody who actually survived R. Kelly. So when people were talking about they were surviving him, she actually survived and has come out on the other side of it. And this was a young girl that we saw through, go through many phases of manipulation with this man. She went through the phase of being an innocent girl who, who got caught up with this guy to being in a relationship and completely under his spell to defending him, you know, viciously against Gail King. And then now on the other side and saying that he, that she was a, a survivor of, of, of a inappropriate relationship with an older man. And I've also been very interested in understanding what people who are inside this bubble think about the people who help facilitate it all. R. Kelly is not the only person that should be in prison right now. There are a lot of other people that should be locked up with him. And there's a lot of people that are getting away, literally getting away with taking advantage of young women. And so I, I was intrigued at the idea of talking to her to learn more about what goes on in the mind of a person like an R. Kelly and what it takes in order for a young woman like her to escape. I don't, I can't even begin to imagine what it's like being one of R. Kelly's girlfriends. And I put that in air quotes because sometimes consent is questionable, but I was very, very impressed when she came clean and admitted that she had lied to protect him because we talk about accountability all the time, but accountability means admitting I lied. And I, I can't remember the last time I've seen anybody of any age be brave enough to go on camera and say, Gail King, I lied to you, you know? So the fact that she has been so transparent after she finally pulled away from him and is not pulling any punches with telling the truth about what happened to her. I actually love that because even though a lot of her stories that I've read are disturbing, um, deeply disturbing and triggering, the amount of courage it takes to admit that you got got and that you were brainwashed by someone and you're trying to regain your life. I can't even applaud her enough for that kind of courage because there are a lot of people who will die not admitting they lied to protect someone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you think about the, the you know, the type of manipulation and coercion and uh, and fear that goes into getting somebody to not only create these lies with you, but to harbor your lies and protect and defend your lies. And and it's it's uh, I've never felt that I was vulnerable enough to anybody to be lured away from reality or lured away from my comfort zone or taken advantage of. And, you know, have I been betrayed? Yes. But to be completely taken advantage of and under that type of spell for so long by somebody um, has been has been very interesting to think about how that could even happen. And so I think it's a conversation that young women should be having with their families and that and that parents should be aware of you know, what the signs are. And we talked a lot about that. Not only did she open up about what it was like to be lured away from her family and be into a relationship with somebody who was victimizing her, 
and how she got out of that, but also what she thinks about the star now, what she thinks about looking back at that Gail King interview and a real interesting point about how that even came about. And, uh, you know, tips that she has for other young women who might be in similar situations. So this was an interview and a conversation that really it was important for young women who might find themselves in the midst of an R. Kelly. Take a look. All right, so welcome, Azrael. Yes. All right, so you found your way here to Hollywood. You know, it's funny, before you got here, your manager, Cortez Bryant, popped in and surprised me. So that's when I knew that we're, we're onto some legitimate music here if, you, if you're working with Tez. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Tez is my manager. Shout out to BPG. Sounds of an Angel is out, guys. The single is dropping in May, so I'm really excited. <laughs> okay, so Azrael, you're a Capricorn. Now, we just had Lotto here. I think that was my last guest, and she's a Capricorn. I'm starting to be surrounded by Geminis and Capricorns, which I believe in the zodiac sign both were um gifts from the devil because we love capricorns but y'all are a lot. my ex was a capricorn and that was a lot wait okay okay i can see that but capricorn women though we're the okay. best that must be what women, that's so what they say grounded. you and lotto had the same exact answer by yes. the way yes uh, yeah don't don't do that that we, must be in the manual amazing. for the avoiding women, the women are amazing. that must be in the manual for avoiding accountability not the women <laughs> Okay, well, listen. Um, so you're from you're from Orlando. I was actually born in Virginia, but yeah, I am from Florida. Yeah. So what does being from from Florida mean, or do you or do you acknowledge Virginia as home base? Well, I acknowledge Florida because that's pretty much where I grew up at, and that's pretty much where like music started for me, where I first got like my first vocal therapist and everybody yeah, maybe like nine or ten yeah so florida is pretty much where everything started for me so you're only 23 which now makes me feel really old <laughs> um when did you when did music start for you okay so for me music started i was probably about nine or ten and it's so funny because there was this little pantene commercial with unwritten by natasha Bedingfield. they used to play on commercials in like the 2000s and that song was it for me. I used to be singing that song all the time. Like, I don't know where this woman came from, but this is the song. And then from there, my parents were like, whoa, she actually sounds pretty decent. Let's get her some, you know, vocal coaches. And from there, you know, I learned to write music, sheet read music, and, you know, so forth. So you were raised, were you the only kid? You have no, siblings? I have siblings. It's actually five of us all together. Um, but yeah, I grew up with my sister and my brother in Florida with my parents and yeah. <laughs> so as a kid, um, you know, I, of course, came to know you in the news as an adult. So I yeah. want to kind of go back and understand who you are as a person. So as yeah. a kid growing up, there were you, your two siblings, your parents. Yes. Your household, middle class, mm -hmm. middle class household. Yeah. And so uh, how were your relationships with your siblings? Were you the type that got along? Me, I always used to kill my sister's <laughs> dolls and throw her toys in the toilet because they would be everywhere. And it would be uh, annoying, and I think she would get more than me. So we, we, we were close, but it was always a side eye here and there. I feel you. Yeah, actually, I was the baby. Okay. So it was my way or the highway. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I love my siblings. I'm super, super close to them. My sister was actually there when we shot Sounds of an Angel, the visuals. Um, yeah, I grew up with both of my siblings super, super close. They're probably tired of me now. <laughs> but no, we're definitely super close, yeah. And your mom and dad, you all were close to the family? Yes, I'm super close with all of them. Honestly, it's so crazy because every single night, 
every single night, both of my parents know how to cook, by the way, but every single night we used to always um, have dinner together. And it's something that a lot of people don't do anymore, but. As a whole family? Yes. Oh, wow. Every at, single, a t at one table? At one table, every single day. Like that was just one of their biggest things to always, you know, break bread together and talk about your day and be able to express yourself. So it's crazy because now that we're all adults, like, even when it's like one of them are preparing dinner, like we all know, okay, it's time to eat together. Like mm. nobody is in different rooms watching TV. Or well, was that a conscious <laughs> thing that mom did or dad did or was that just the understanding of the household? I just think that because they both came from very large families, like they were just very used to doing that and just having dinner with family. Um, so it's just something that they kind of like did with us. And now when I'm with my friends, like we all eat together, we cook together. Mm. It's just one of those things that just get passed down. <laughs> Did that, in your opinion, was that one of the activities that made the family strong at that time? Oh, for sure. Mm. Oh, for sure. I feel like anytime you're able to spend that quality time, it's like, you know, everybody always seems like they're in such a rush to get somewhere. But it's like when you actually have that downtime with family, it's such a blessing. It's interesting. I have a dining room table at my house. I don't think... I don't really sit down and have meals at my table. Oh, no. You need to get a nice bottle of wine, get some <laughs> friends. You guys cook a good meal together. Well, I'll think about it. <laughs> All right. So uh, so moving on. So when did you know? So you knew early on you wanted to sing. I mean, most families, yes. especially a family that seems as together as yours was, uh, mom and dad both worked, right? Yes. Um, in, in that time, parents want their kids to get stable jobs. Go yes. and become a doctor, a nurse, a lawyer. Go do something that gets a check every two weeks. Did, did they, were they supportive of your music career early on? My or you parents, wanted to do music? Yeah, actually I've never worked a job in my life. <laughs> Wait, Lotto said the same thing. It's I've a Capricorn never, thing. Capricorn women don't work. Yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. My parents were like, honestly, I just never want you to have the workers mentality that a lot of people carry because it's very hard to break out of that. Because and you I, get that comfort of yes, staying in that Yes, just job. being very comfortable and they just never wanted me to be comfortable in life, they always wanted me to go out and pursue anything that I felt like I could do. And music was something that they just made me feel like was not too big or not too far-fetched for me to be able to accomplish it. And so, you know, they helped me pursue my music. They, you know, helped me pay for vocal teachers to learn how to read music, write music, be able to, you know, now book my own studio sessions, be able to write for myself and lay references for other artists. So it's like everything that they did to help me, it, off in the long mm. run. And so did you did you feel privileged to have that? Not privileged? I did because I had a lot of friends that were working. In high school I had so many friends that were working and I was doing like shows and stuff like that. You know, I was getting like $500. So I had a car in high school. So I was just like, oh, I'm sorry. I ain't got a clock in nowhere. I'm finna, you know, relax. You feel me? But no, um, yeah, I just, I just, you know, did shows, you know, I would write and stuff like that. And that's pretty much how I had money in high school and will be able to, to work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was my work for me. And so music was, there was only one job for you or only one career for your whole life that you saw and that was music. Yeah. Yes. And so you, then you, you, you've been around the music business for a little bit. Yeah. Um, now that you're in it, is it everything that you thought it was going to be? I mean, in terms of seeing the business side of it, because there's the music and then there's the music business. Well, I feel like that's what I have such a great, phenomenal team for, because when it comes to me, I really just like the music side. Like, as long as I can record, and I'm such a night out when it comes to my sessions, I literally will record from 11 to 4 in the morning. But I just love that I have such a creative team that handles the business side, um, and they keep me super tied in. But 
for me, I definitely would say the, the best part of it is knowing that I have that luxury and that freedom to um, stay focused on what it is that I want to do, which is create the sound mm -hmm. and create an emo emotion that people can attach to and relate to. So, How would you define the sound? Um, which song are we talking about? Well, let's talk about the current <laughs> one that you have, Sounds of an Angel. Yeah, Sounds of an Angel, for me, that sound was super sultry. It was super um, sexy. It was really just geared around a vibe. And um, even when I was creating that, you know, I was in a completely different new headspace. And I was so happy. I was moving forward with my life. I had just moved to Atlanta, had my own place. And I was just going through a lot of great transitions. So for me, honestly, you know, when I was writing it, I was like, you know, this is going to be me being happy with where I am right now, being fulfilled with where I am right now in life. Uh, we just uh, came back from the Grammys where we saw mm -hmm. Jasmine Sullivan win her uh, first two Grammys, which I think is long overdue. She's so underrated and an amazing vocalist. But she had talked about um, when she was being interviewed, Akeisha from Hollywood Unlocked had asked her the question about, you know, not winning after so many times. She'd been nominated 15 times and thought about oh, giving wow. up. Do you think that you're in it for the fatigue of the industry that it can cause it sometime and is winning awards an important part of the process for you? I don't necessarily think awards is like something that I would even really consider a milestone for me personally. I think I have a lot of people that were really just rooting for me and I feel like I had a lot of people that could relate to me and nothing's more important than putting out music that people can relate to and people can feel and people can say, oh my God, I connect with this person. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been here before. And so for me, I feel like just tapping into an emotion that I know other people can feel is probably going to be like the greatest gift of mm -hmm. doing music and creating music. So when you talk about people connecting to you and your music, what is it that you've been through or that you're going through or that you put out in your music that you think people can relate to? I feel like everyone has pretty much gone through, you know, a toxic relationship, especially you in this Capricorn that you keep making. <laughs> yeah, I'm very damaged, by the way. <laughs> yes, but um, I feel like everyone, at least once in their lifetime, will deal with, you know, a toxic relationship. It happens. And, um, you know, so I feel like for me, my music is able to get when you're going through that dark place and you're finding yourself again and you're finding that confidence to be happy within yourself and look in the mirror and be like I'm beautiful and look in the mirror and say those positive you know affirmations to yourself I feel like that's a super 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 large part because um, people can get people can lose themselves you know mm -hmm. going through toxic situations so for me I feel like my music is how to be like hold on I'm a bad bitch, like, I'm sorry, I hate to say it, but yeah, you know, it helps you, you know, get that confidence back, like, pause, I ain't lost the sauce, you feel me? Well, no, I'm glad you said that because, you know, I, I came to know who you were, of course, through social media yeah. and, and the media, um, going through the, um, what you went through with R. Kelly. Right. And um, we, you know, I, I was thinking a lot about this interview when they told me you were coming, because I feel like when we have the power of storytelling, people who have platforms like this, we have a responsibility to the people that watch. But we also have a responsibility to the people we interview. And I think about the women that follow my, my uh, company, Hollywood Unlocked, yes. um, my five sisters who I love and who we protected for years. Right. Um, and then I think about you and what you've gone through and I've watched the transition. And I, and I do see on the outside the growth, I see the breakthrough. Thank and you. I wanted to use this as an opportunity for those women who may be going through their own process. Um, because I don't look at you as a victim, I look at you as a survivor. Right. Um, but there's been many layers to your survival <laughs> yeah. that have been 
in contrast to where I've seen some just, they've been different places. Um, yeah. So I'm gonna ask you some questions. Mm -hmm. So 17, you meet R. Kelly. Mm -hmm. um, you meet him as a fan. I mean, I'm yeah. assuming like everybody else. Yes, I did. Did you think that he was going to be the end to the business, that thing you'd been fighting for your whole life, that he was gonna be the person to help you get there? Honestly, yeah, I did, because I have met a lot of other great artists even before him. And um, so I just thought, like, when I met him and he asked me to audition, it would just be no different. Like, mm -hmm. honestly, I was just like, okay, this is somebody they're going to hear me sing. They're going to like it or they're not. And um, that's pretty much what I thought of it. But at 17, I was a 17-year-old. Well, first of all, as a nine-year-old, nine <laughs> I was in the streets with a latch around my neck. Oh, man. Uh, before I went to foster care, they put me away. But when you were 17, were you a sophisticated 17? Were you a young, hopeful 17? Were you still a daddy's little girl 17? I was actually like super, super mature, but I was still very much a child. So I was super naive, super gullible. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't work a job. I was. Well, we know, we know you Capricorns don't <laughs> work a job. Happy go lucky. Very just like just in my own little world, you know, just living life. Um, so I was just this very simple you know, normal teenage, you know, 17-year-old. <laughs> Would you say at that time happy? Oh, yeah, I was definitely very happy. And so then you become mentored by R. Kelly. Mm -hmm. And then between that point and what point were you just completely away from that happy home that sat down at dinner every night? Honestly, I would say, see, a lot of people don't necessarily understand how fast um, stuff, like, escalated. Um, but personally, for me, I just feel like it, it just wasn't about music. And I never, never from the beginning, it never, you know, yeah. even the people like his assistants and stuff, you know, they would try to redirect stuff. So it was a lot of adults that play parts and would let this person, you know, know like, hey, there are things that you're doing that you know, should not be happening, like other adults letting him know. And so for me, I just I just felt like, okay, what am I doing if I'm not, you know, doing music? And that's what comes when you are dealing with someone that's very toxic and you're very young. It's so easily, it's so easy to manipulate someone. It's so easy to take advantage of someone. And um, for me, I was just naive and I just wanted to sing. And I just thought, you know, this is somebody, you know, that can either hear me sing and like me and, you know, connect me with proper people that can help me or, you know, nothing will happen. And so, I don't know, I guess for me, it was just super important to know that I didn't really need anybody to do what I'm doing now, you know? Well, that's, seeing that there's a lot of power in what you're saying, and this is why I'm asking the questions. Um, in your mind, the whole time, you still believe you were gonna get the help? Yeah, <laughs> I was like, but I the, mean, but, the, but there was orchestrated effort around you to do yeah. completely different yeah. things. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Mm -hmm. The reason why I asked the question is because I saw as your story was unfolding, I mean, as much as we were reporting, I was watching it, um, a lot of people blamed you and your parents. Yes. And it was almost like, I, I didn't know what that was. Is that just fans who refuse to see the image of their star one way? Or is it easy to just blame women and their parents for a man's wrongdoing? Well, I kind of feel like you can never blame a parent, an adult who left their child with an adult. So mm -hmm. let's start there. Mm -hmm. Like that's first and foremost, you know, if you're an adult and you left a child with an adult, it does not fall on anybody else except for that adult that child was left with. Um, and I definitely 
you know, would also have to just agree with what you said, you know, it's a lot of the backlash that I get are from people that are actually still very much diehard fans of this man. Like you can literally go on their page and you'll see like their face and this and that. And I'm just like, okay, it makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense, but um, it's unfortunate. It really is unfortunate, but I just feel like it's a lot of naive people who, you know, fell in love with someone's artistry and their music. And that's not even something that I can take away, but right is right and wrong is wrong. And, you know, if you're, you know, mentally ill and sick, then you should do everything that you can to fix that. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like that's just all about accountability. Even me, I had to take accountability. Like, I'm here now, but, you know, I made a lot of very careless decisions. I was very young. I was very naive. And even that does, even I have to admit to that, mm -hmm. you know? So that's pretty much what it comes down to. So when was it a switch from them orchestrating control over you and and basically lying to you mm -hmm. and def and frauding you into you falling in love with them or did you ever fall in love um i wouldn't necessarily say i was in love because i feel like it was a lot of manipulation mm -hmm. to just keep me there you know mm -hmm. we now all know the beauty of love you know gaslighting and love bombing and you know how people can you know take advantage of somebody or just you know anything of that nature. So um, I feel like it was definitely a lot of that, just keeping people there, um, just manipulating the situation to keep someone there, but not necessarily um, love. I but how did he get that. you to the point to where, I mean, he had, he had you. Yes. Because you were. He, you're, you, you, you were, you, <laughs> I had you, to take you, a moment. Like, he really, you're <laughs> absolutely right. No, because I've seen the different level. I've seen the your process. I've yes. Seen, I've seen the total control. Yeah. To like a light switch went off. I was like, thank you, God. So, so the total control piece, because there are women yes. who are, I didn't even know how in-depth sex trafficking was, you know, right. and how simple it is to lure women away from or take women away from their environments. And as I'm hearing all the women in my, or our fans talk about it, you know, I'm starting to tune more into women issues. Right. Where, where was the, where was the, when did you, when do you realize the first level of control was there that it was, in, that it couldn't be penetrated? Like, what was the first sign? Well, the first sign, honestly, <laughs> I feel like I actually didn't really go through through a lot of necessarily who he was until I turned 18. That That is pretty much, I mean, when I first initially met him, all of my calls were very much monitored, even with my family. Like, it was five minutes and under. He had to be in the room every, that, that was just for anybody. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and then when I turned 18, it was just, you can't call him at all. And I was just like, um, that's very odd, you know, but um, okay, because at that point, you know, I was comfortable, I was living with someone, so I was just like, okay. I didn't necessarily know where the disconnect was coming from or why someone whom felt like they hadn't been doing anything wrong would even feel like they needed to say that. So for me, it was just a lot of, okay, you know you've been treating people like very, very terribly, and clearly this is your way of trying to control the little bit of, you know, this narrative that you do have. So for me, that's probably was like the first red flag. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then did you, but then you felt like you were too deep in or did you feel still manipulated to stay? I did feel a little bit of both because I couldn't understand where that was necessarily coming from or why I didn't necessarily or couldn't have a relationship with my 
parents or just call them normally. So for me, it was a little bit odd, but it wasn't like it, it just kind of seemed like something that he just made seem very simple. Like, mm -hmm. oh, you know, next time you call your parents, you know, I just want to be present. You know, he just made it seem like something very simple. And then it became, okay, you actually cannot call them unless I'm here, mm -hmm. you know. And it was, you know, it was, I hate to say it, but it was an environment where you saw other women that were older than me that were allowing a lot of stuff. And so... To happen. Yes. But what about those people? Because Kay Michelle was here on the show and she said that when this was all going down and she didn't say with you, but she said in general, like right. this has been a longstanding practice or whatever, mm -hmm. or that's what she alluded to. She said that there were a lot of moms in the kitchen cooking dinner. In some situations, this wasn't clearly yours. Yeah. Do you feel like there should, there's other people that should be in jail, like assistants or security or drivers or people who are booking hotels or travel? I mean, these people were around. I mean, honestly, I don't necessarily think I mean, I cannot speak for anybody else. At the end of the day, I went through something toxic with one person. Mm. One person is the only person that put their hands on me. One person is the only person that did not allow me to speak with my family and so forth. So I cannot sit up here and say, oh, I want to blame this person. I want to blame that person. Because then even I wouldn't be growing as a young woman if mm. I was sitting here sitting with all that baggage and holding on to all of that. So no, I feel like the only person that you know took advantage of people and even his staff um, you know, fired them, treated them terribly, talked about them terribly. Um, you know, that person is exactly where he's at, you know, sitting exactly where they are in their skin, you know, and that is the only person that I feel that should be held accountable. So where does this level of maturity come from? Because now I'm looking <laughs> at you and you sitting here looking and sounding great, happy, <laughs> smiling, laughing. Um, where, where was then... The, what was your process to get through all that to where you are now? Honestly, uh, music and therapy. A lot of people don't know. When I left that situation in 2019, I went immediately into therapy. But this is before you beat up Jocelyn or after? Cause way, <laughs> before. Because the way you drug her through that hallway, that... that Stop. We're not even tired to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> Honestly... Did you guys make up? No, <laughs> no. I mean, yeah, yeah, no, we didn't, we didn't make up, but um, yeah, honestly, for me, it was a lot of therapy, Jason. It was a lot of therapy, honestly. You know, music was something that really, really helped me with that also because 2020, you couldn't even, 2019, you couldn't even pay me to hum. I wouldn't even hum around people. And then, you know, 2020 came and I was humming and I was singing, I was recording. Then 2021 came and then I was really recording. I found my team and I was just like, okay, yeah, we're getting this show on the road. We're releasing stuff. We got dates locked in. And so for me, it was really just a lot of therapy and music and keeping myself grounded and remembering who I am and, you know, where I come from and, you know, just remembering and like relearning myself as a grown woman. And even as I sit here today, I'm still relearning myself, you know. So I just think that it was something that was so comfortable and so familiar that helped me break through and get to where I am now. So what was the breakthrough? Like what was when you were in the midst of the the demon and yeah. the, there was a light there's some switch that had to go off what, what was the switch honestly for me it was just a lot of taking accountability and just a lot of forgiving myself like it was so so crucial that I forgave myself and that you know I told my younger self like it is okay to make mistakes like you are not the first you will not be the last 
person on this earth to make you know a mistake or to make something that ultimately may not have turned out the way you would have thought it would have and um for me it was just really about growing as an adult because as much as i can sit here and say you know i was a child i'm not a child now you know and so for me it's all about just forgiving myself and knowing that i can do whatever it is that i put my mind to and you know sitting here is living proof that i can do that so well sitting here is living proof that you have great media training by the way i don't know who <laughs> trained you but you're good um shout out to cortez all right so so let's go back so five years you guys were together yes in five years you were 15 right 15, 17, 17 17 17 yes. to 22 mm -hmm. which is really important years in a young girl's life yes um and so at the time were you not going to school either or you were out of school so i was actually homeschooled and then my senior year i was um well i was in school and then my senior year i was homeschooled mm -hmm. and then i was done with school after that and then you had 18. no other friends outside of that nobody so how is and then social media you didn't have social media at all this is like my so third year with so social media wait a minute, wait, it's so no, hard by the way no, you have to tell me about no like, it just hit me as we're sitting here so you were not around in the birth of social media like no. that no and, and even when i was a child and i was 14 15 16 doing music my parents controlled my social media mm -hmm. they control my facebook and everything so i just never had social media until i like you know 2020. so wow fascinating yes. But so let me understand, so when you're completely cut off from the world like that, and you're not able to absorb what's going on around you. You don't know what countries are at war. You don't know the inflation. You don't know about anything in the economy. You don't know nothing about what's happening. And you yeah. have no friends to call you and dial you in. <laughs> no. How you know you, when they say you're living in Iraq, that was like literal. <laughs> so was the, wor the world for you was just waking up and that's it? Yeah, I came back and I was just like, what the hell is all this stuff that I got to do? I got to run this, I got to run that, I got to... I'm like, pause, like, whoa, this is actually a lot of things. But, but does it feel lonely? Um, I don't think it feels lonely because I have a great support system. No, I mean at the time. At the time, I think it was overwhelming because mm -hmm. I was just like, I didn't know what people wanted to see for me what people wanted to expect but you know a lot of people really just embrace me they love just seeing my personality shine through which i felt was you know super amazing and i feel like a lot of people watch me heal like mm -hmm. they really watch me go through my healing process mm -hmm. so then you come back the light the, the light switch goes on and yes. um but before it went all the way on, it was still a little dim when you did that Gail King interview. And I know you've taken responsibility yes. and ownership for that. So I'm not even going to get into that. <laughs> when you look back at it now, though, having taken responsibility and gone through that, who was that girl sitting there? Because that's not who's here today. Yeah. And, and, which is a good thing. A because thing. Because it shows growth. But when you look back at that young lady, what do you think? I just think that she was scared. Mm -hmm. I feel like she was honestly scared. And I feel like, you know, regardless of however anybody wants to perceive an interview through their screen, at the end of the day, I had to go back to whatever I was going back to and the rest of the world continued to go on with their life. So for me, I feel like at that point, I had to do what I felt would protect me most in that situation as a young woman. Mm -hmm. And so I look back and I just, I just wish that I could give her a big hug and say, you know, you do not have to be scared. And it is so okay to stand up for yourself mm -hmm. because look at where you are now. Mm -hmm. Like, this is literally just me standing up for myself and controlling my narrative and, you know, controlling my testimony, my legacy. And so 
for me, I feel like it was super important. You said a minute ago that um, the, he was putting his hands on you. You were abused by him? Yeah. So were you afraid in that interview that if it didn't go the way that he expected it to be, to give that cover that you've been given for so long that it could end up with that? Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You did a damn good job in that interview. <laughs> I mean, you held it down yeah. to, to protect him, but, yeah. but, but really you were protecting yourself. Yeah, I was protecting myself because I was scared, and I feel like anybody that watches that, like, I'm super aggressive, I'm, like, super mean, like, for no reason, like, just on standby. So I just know for me, like, I just was full of so much fear, and I didn't know what to expect. It's like I didn't even know that we were going to be doing an interview with Gail until probably, like, less than 24 hours, maybe, like, the 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 morning, like the night before going into the morning of, so, and it's like, I don't watch news anyways, I didn't know who she was, I was just like, Wait, okay. you didn't know who Gail King was? No, I didn't. You did not know who, I know, I know Oprah she, Wimp, you know who Oprah best yes, friend? Yes, yes, I did know. I mean, but she's she, more than that, but Oprah yeah. is Gail. Yes, I knew who she was, I just didn't know that was her name, like I knew her oh, face, okay, I just okay. didn't know that was who she was, but I just found out everything like super abruptly, so I was just like, Okay, I just need to protect myself. At the end of the day, after this, I still got to go back to that. And so I need to do whatever I can mm -hmm. and say whatever I have to do to make this person feel like we are... Protecting him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much what it was. And it's, it's unfortunate, but I really did, you know, do what I felt was best for me at that age. Well, I never really understood why people blamed you, like, or blamed any of the women. I, I don't understand that. And what I, what I love, and just sitting and watching you, because as much as I'm asking you questions and listening, I'm paying attention yeah. to how you're answering. And I love the honesty and the transparency because uh, I've had people up here, uh, hey, sweetie, you know, don't want to answer nothing. She's coming back to redeem herself, though. But, I, but there has to be some respect for somebody who's gone through something so public. You yeah. know, everybody watching, we get to watch it from the comfort of our homes. We're not in right. the front seat. But um, where does that strength come from? Does that come from mom, dad, from just how you were brought up? I definitely do think it comes from my parents. Honestly, you know, they've always taught me to, you know, stand up for myself and to always be strong. You know, I've always feel like I'm just such the lone, the lone wolf. Like, I just feel like I'm that person that has to go through the fire for everybody. Like, I don't know why God chose me to be the strongest soldier, but hey, here I am. <laughs> but no, I just, I definitely do get that from my parents. You know, they've raised a very strong, young woman I've been through a lot and ultimately for me I just know that there are people out there that have been through something similar and it's like when you're going through that it's like how do I get through that to go back to where I was or how do I get back to finding myself mm -hmm. and so for me it was super super important to show how I healed in my healing process in days that I was happy days that I was sad days that I was depressed days that I was low days that I was high and so I just feel like Doing that, it kind of helped a lot of other women be able to leave situations and just take every single day at a time and just finding things that you love. For me, my outlet was music and um, being able to have that outlet, it helped me grow and have so much courage, like more than anything else, I feel like. Uh, two more questions. One question about this and then we'll move on. One question I want to ask you is, um, you know, people who've gone through like stuff that you've gone through come out on the other side and then they'll do an interview about projects they're working on and they'll say, I want to talk about everything but that. And you didn't do that. You decided to be very comfortable in me asking you the questions. And I appreciate that. You didn't say I can't ask you anything. And there's things I don't need to ask you because it's already right. out there. 
Um, why, why are you still comfortable and okay with being asked about your past? Um, honestly, I'm not. <laughs> Let me just say, I'm not after this. No, 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 don't nobody ask, no, I'm just joking. No, but I'm actually not, but honestly with you, I felt like you use your platform for so much good and you give this platform for a lot of upcoming artists and just artists and influencers in general to you know pivot their career and you give them the space to really like control their narrative and be in control of who they are and what they do and what they stand for and so for me i felt like it was super important for me to come here and be as transparent as possible and let you do what you do as jason so well, thank you no thank you no i, I thought a lot about it because yeah. we've never been the type to try to get you and i feel like you represent a lot of women who are getting got and, and, yeah. and there are a lot of men that I think prey on young women who have a vision for their life and who have a passion and a talent. And then their lights get dimmed and never figure out how to flicker again. And yeah. you figured it out. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, hopefully people see you more than a headline that they see the talent, they can get to it. And then when I see Cortez work, I'm like, okay, y'all really must be working. <laughs> y'all put it together. Okay, so let's talk about the music. You have uh, Sounds of an Angel. That's the first single. Now you have an EP that you're working on. Yes. Or you already have, or is it done? It's already done. Okay. The EP is done. Five tracks. Assignment is the second single. I'm super excited. Assignment? Inside Me. Inside Me, okay. Yes, that's the second single. And um, honestly, this EP is just so fresh and so potent and so sexy. And for me, it was just really about just finding that confidence again and who Azriel is and what does she stand for? And she's just so sexy and such a badass, mm. you know? So for me, it was really just bringing that out in my music. So I just saw Chloe Bailey this uh, past week, and she's been one, I think, that's uh, kind of grown into her sexuality and her yes. sensuality. And I was telling her, stop letting the haters hate on you, because <laughs> I feel like as young women, when you evolve into becoming women, yeah. people online always have something to say. Have you gotten any feedback from tapping mm. into the sultry side? I do. I have gotten a little bit of feedback um, from a couple people, but I just think, you know, I'm, we're all young. You know, all these people that you sit up here and name, we're all young. We're all beautiful women. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we have the right to feel confident in our skin. We have the right to feel sexy in our skin. We should be able to put on a dress or a skirt or a crop top and just feel good, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I'm no different. And if anybody else knows, you know, you should be able to be in total control of your body. Of course, that too. Okay, and so um, this media training, who trains you? <laughs> I don't. Do Somebody's, I really? Yeah, mm -hmm. Okay, You're wow. Pretty good. I'm just, I don't know. I'm just really being myself. I'm this just is being, really you? Yeah, this is really me. This is really good. After this, we're probably going to go to Nobu. <laughs> Celebrate a little bit. <laughs> well, 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 listen, um, I'm glad that you're um, still moving and that you have music coming. We're going to check you. that out. And anytime you want to come here, holler at us. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy. Thank you for letting me be here. All right. So the, so the single's out now. Yes. The single is out now. And the EP drops. May 25th. Okay. So pick it up. Yeah. Peace. <laughs> all right. Look, that was a great show. And make sure you keep coming back because we got all types of amazing interviews and topics that are going to make you go crazy. Uh-huh. That's right. That means like, subscribe, do everything you need to do to make sure you stay up to date with what we got going on. And ladies, stay tuned in because you know I have your back. And listen, make sure that you're commenting below because even though I say I don't read it on the show, that's all I do when it's over.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.